When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Flicked on by Francis. Then off a Burnley head. Definitely not outside. Two Burnley players back on the goal line. I think they might be checking for handball off Francis. I really don't know, John Williams. It looks absolutely fine from what I'm seeing. I think... Hi and welcome to episode number 79 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name is Sam Davis and with me, Jeff Hayward. Jeff, it's, uh, it's nice to have you on from the very beginning of the show this week and understandably there's a lot to cram in, but if I could ask you at this very early stage of your five-word match report from yesterday, what on earth would it be? The same game, different rules. Yeah, very true. Well, mine is uh, we're staring down the varyl. Uh, that's, that, that's awful, but uh, didn't quite work. Um, but yeah, there's loads to cram in today, isn't there? Including uh, the fans' match thoughts that have been sent in, some swear-filled match audio from the trip to Turf Moor, the reaction with Jeff. And uh, Jeff, we almost need two separate podcasts, don't we? One to do with what happened on the pitch and all the nonsense that happened off it. I think we do. It's It was the most bizarre week for VAR, not just isolated to our game, but there were three matches yesterday and we were one of the um, one of the one of those three that just it's it's not VAR that's the problem. It's the people operating it. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, we're going to go over what happened at Burnley. And of course, we're going to look forward to with some trepidation, I must add, to our next encounter, which is Chelsea at home. And It's the first time I've seriously contemplated the R word all season. So sandwiched in between all that will be a brief glimpse into what being demoted from the Premier League might actually mean for AFC Bournemouth. So strap yourselves in, guys. Jeff and I are going on the rampage. But first, let's do this.
So I was going to do some kind of sarcastic do you remember related to VAR, but um, I could have gone the whole self-deprecating route, but I didn't. Um, But last week what I did is I posted a photo on Twitter and I put the words do you remember or who remembers or something like that. And it was a picture of one of the cushions from the main stand. And uh, you've heard those stories, Jeff, haven't you, about people throwing on their food, their cushions, anything onto the pitch they could in disgust. Yeah, and um, I was never a cushion thrower, but I witnessed it many times. And um, yeah, it filled us with joy, those sorts of outpourings of emotion. Yeah, so I'm actually having my house redecorated at the moment. And Bruce, if you're listening, uh, he is uh, an expert decorator. So if you're looking for a Bournemouth fan, um, I can hook you up. But uh, he he put this cushion in and he said, Sam, do you remember this? I said, oh my goodness, is that from the main stand? And so I put the photo on. His was kind of tattered and torn. I think he uses it when he's kind of kneeling down and doing like the skirtings, etc. But then I put some photos on and some people replied with their own cushions most of which were in pristine condition and sign and stuff. And those were during the kind of eras which included some managers who I'll name shortly. But what we're going to do on this week's Do You Remember is go through a managerial timeline from Harry Redknapp onwards. But there's going to be a couple of blanks and I want you to fill in the blanks. And then at the end of the show, I'll give you the answer. So chronologically, managers of AFC Bournemouth, there could be some caretaker ones shoved in there too, Okay, Harry Redknapp, Tony Pulis... Mel Machin, Sean O'Driscoll, Blank and Blank, Kevin Bond, Jimmy Quinn, Mr Eddie Howe, Lee Bradbury, Paul Groves, Blank and then Eddie Howe again. Um, I'm not going to repeat it, but you might just want to uh, press the uh, rewind button just for 30 seconds on your podcast app to be able to hear those again. But yeah, there's three blanks there. If you can name them, kudos to you. The answer is going to be at the end of the show. So what a weekend it was. It was a, um, a lovely trip up north, what, five hours or so. Uh, I managed to record some raw match audio, so that's coming up next. Plus, we've got your fan thoughts as well. And uh, quick warning, there's no bleep machine here, so if you've got kids listening, you might want to just turn this bit down. Go on, go on.
Hi Sam, Kirk here. I'm not going to sort of give my opinion on the formation selection and the players today. Um, I'm more just going to give my opinion on VAR. Um, I was an advocate for VAR. I thought it was going to be a good thing. I think it worked really well in the World Cup with not a lot of negative feedback. The offside for me can be a little bit strict but as an overall package of VAR for me it gave the opportunity for it to be a fair and even playing field for all teams within the league the first goal today from Philip Billing I've looked at it over and over again I can't see where the clear and obvious handball is and if it's if anything it comes off his shoulder the Adam Smith one it is even more ridiculous because if you look at the actual play of the of that situation, the ball is looping high. There is no pressure from Hendrick onto Smith. The ball is looping out for a goal kick if he lets it go. There is no ambition or no reason why potentially Adam Smith would handball the ball in that scenario. For me, VAR is not the problem. The problem is it's the people who run it and operate it. That's where it's going wrong. We've got the best league in the world, but again, the officials and the people behind the system are making a mockery of the Premier League. Where does that leave us today then? We needed to pick up points again today. We needed to take a point with us. Um, for me, it's a, it's a long 11 games back from here. Um, I suppose the positives that we can take going forward after today are our next home game against Chelsea is a winnable game because they're they're inconsistent and the other positive we can take is that it looks like Villa are a very bad team and that potentially Watford and West Ham have got their own issues going on as well which might help us we stay positive frustrating day feel sorry for the fans but hey let's keep going up the cherries hi it's Richard from rugby here uh, just got back from a walk in the park to try and clear my head after yesterday's penalty debacle. Uh, quite nice to see two Sunday pub teams kicking lumps out of each other and uh, not VAR not in sight. Uh, interestingly, one of the teams was wearing claret and blue, but I'm not going to go there today, I don't think. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go on and on about VAR because obviously that's been done to death and we're all sick to the back teeth of it. What I do want to say is... I think quite a lot of people have been gloomy about the performance, level of performance yesterday and previous games. For me, I think we got consistently better over the last five games. Started at Norwich for the first 20 minutes, half an hour until Cookie's uh, slight aberration. Um, then carried on with the two home games, the two victories and Sheffield United first half hour was good. Yesterday, until the penalty debacle, we were certainly not outplayed we're possibly the better team obviously heads dropped after the penalty incident which you can understand so I suppose all I'm saying is I think the performances are getting better I know we're now at the point where we can't keep saying yeah we're improving performing but we're still not picking up points we need to do that but hopefully we can continue the trend that I think I've witnessed over the last five games and the crowd really need to be up for it next Saturday against Chelsea, like they were against Villa. And if we are, we all know Chelsea are the team that we do really well against in terms of the top teams. So let's hope we can continue that next Saturday. And let's go for it and don't give up because we can still get out of this. Cheers. OK, so tons to digest from that one and just a really, really tough one to take. Definitely a tale of two halves. 
we looked so good in the first half. We were on the front foot, we were creating chances, um, which leads into another point of us missing a lot of opportunities and wasting some really, really good chances. Definitely could have had goals from Kelvin Wilson, Harry Wilson, and Jack Stacy in the first half. Could have been out of sight, um, but we didn't put those chances away. Um, but obviously the big talking point from today will be the two VAR decisions that could well cost us our place in the Premier League come the end of the season. Um, it definitely changed the complexion of the game today. Played a huge factor in the second half. Really killed our momentum. Yeah, so Cherries to come to a 3-0 loss at Burnley. Not many happy fans. We've been hearing them. We've been reading the reaction. And, I mean, it's one of those kind of things. Where on earth do we begin to start to detangle this? Should we, should we do it in chronological order and maybe talk about the team news at 2 o'clock when it came out? Yeah, um, I, think, I think even before that, I think the context of us playing Burnley has its own narrative these days. And that mm. narrative is they are making us pay for Eddie coming back every time. Every time there seems to be a sickening result. And very often we don't deserve what comes out of it. I think they've got an attitude that uh, Dice winds them up so that they decide they, they're going to quite enjoy kicking us. Mm. Uh, so we know what we're in for. Uh, if you could paint a picture of what the worst possible way for us to play Burnley would be, it would be number one, bloody wind. Sorry, yeah. swearing. Yeah. Don't worry. Number two, we'd be fighting for our lives. They'd be on the back of four fantastic results yeah. and playing with bags of confidence. And number three, we'd go into that game without our two best players. Yeah, it's almost like there's an agenda against us. Uh, yeah, what what does he say to wind them up in the changing room? You don't know, but they always seem to perform against us, whether it's home or away. And yeah, Jefferson Lerma out, Nathan Ake out. I heard that Nathan Ake had some kind of head injury. There were rumours circulating on Twitter in the week that he was out for a long time, but they proved um, to not be the case. But he was out in this case. Um, and also Jefferson Lerma as well. And I'm not overly sure what the issue was with him. Any Any idea? Bad back from what I heard. Um, hopefully it's not too serious. I, I sort of suspect maybe a little bit of planning ahead. Maybe Eddie thinks that we've got a better chance of getting a result against Chelsea. Mm. Would rather have him for that game than he would for Burnley away. Um, I mean, it, a pr is he a player that they want to maybe protect because of the way that Burnley are notoriously physical, perhaps, and they don't want him to get in, embroiled in any, um, you know, bad challenges? But also, um, you, you know, you know what they're like. They're aggressive, and they would go at him and probably try to get him booked. Possibly, I've, I've, I felt it was a side that. Um, what I said before about the worst conditions to play Burnley, that's a side that's going to lose to Burnley. That's what yeah. I thought when I saw it. And um, actually, the other two interesting decisions were Rico dropped for Adam Smith to switch over to the left and bring in Stacey back. Mm. Again, probably a bit more of a physical presence as a, as a defence. Um, and then Josh King coming in for uh, Ryan Fraser. Again, a bit more of a physical presence. I'd I, I, think we've missed Josh's directness and his physical presence so 
that I think was a positive but ultimately the back four was our weakness in that game and it showed because you know that's that's how they they got ahead basically yeah that's right it's um it looked like a bit of a championship midfield when you sort of look at it. I know that Philip Billing was in there as well, but to have Sermon and Gosling in there, it did hark back to those sort of League Cup matches or the uh, championship era, which which ironically, uh, Dan Gosling didn't feature much in, uh, same as Junior Stanislas. They sort of came into their own when we got into the Premier League. But um, it did worry me somewhat. But having Josh King back, I thought, was um, a bit of a coup for us starting. I thought he could... Uh, be the aggressor and the interviews in the week suggested that he was really up for taking the fight to Burnley and uh, unfortunately though um, it didn't go our way but it, it wasn't completely our fault but it, you know it sort of ebbed and flowed in the early stages didn't it and there were moments where Burnley sort of carved us open but we, we did the same with them too. Yeah the uh, the best chances in that first mm. half well certainly early on came to us uh, Callum had a really good effort which either side of uh, Pope would have been a goal. He connects really well, left-footed volleys from about seven or eight yards, and um, Pope makes a good save. That sort of set the, the the style, I felt. We played really well. We were passing the ball really well. I think we surprised them a bit because we went for them. Very reminiscent of the Sheffield United opening 25, actually, where mm. the fullbacks got forward really well. We're overloading the flanks. We're getting in behind them, pulling the ball back, getting shots on goal. And you felt it's it's either going to be one of those games where we're never going to score and we miss our best chances and they go at the other end and beat us, or we're going to get a goal here and try and hang on. I mean, it, which which again was Sheffield United in a in microcosm. Um, so yeah, I mean, when we went ahead, yeah, albeit well. for a few seconds, you know, it 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 felt like that had been coming. We deserved it albeit Vidra on the break. I mean, playing yeah, right. playing Cook and Francis at centre-half. Um, Is that where he cut in onto his right foot and managed to get the shot away? And, you know, thankfully Ramsdale was, you know, was stood up to it. But, I mean, that was, that was scary when he came in on his right. It was scary. And um, I, think, I think his pace unsettled us. It showed what we have with Ake. We have somebody who can cover back and... And respond to that sort of attack but with Francis and Cook they're too similar um, you know one or the other but not both together um, I know Francis has played well recently but I think that's because as a combination he works well with Ake um, Francis and Cook together I mean yeah it, yeah it it always gave them a chance one thing actually Sam you were there so yeah. perhaps you could just describe how um, how full on that wind was what a, what an advantage was it for us playing in that first half um, yeah I mean <laughs> to tell you how bad it was um, just next to Turf Moor is Burnley Cricket Club where you can go for pre-match drinks it's a very friendly atmosphere with fans of both sides it's, there's not overly a lot of people in there but it's very exposed to the elements and uh, in the bar there's actually a sort of fire escape that goes out onto the balcony and people going out there for cigarettes and vaping etc and the door was slamming shut and every time the doors opened everyone could feel that you know gust of wind and there was a guy who'd just been out for a cigarette and he walked back in with his you drink and just as he was about to close the door behind him it closed on him so much so he dropped his drink and it went everywhere onto the quite horrendous carpet within the cricket club but it was really strong apparently it wasn't as bad as Sheffield United last week but it did have its effect and I just wonder once again whether the sermon choice 
is reason for that as well. He, of course, doesn't play these lofted balls. It's alone, sort of along the deck. You just wonder whether... Because Lewis Kirk, he, he seems to be out of favour. I'm, I'm sure we'll you know, come on to him. But, yeah, I mean, the conditions weren't so bad, um, I've got to say. And, uh, you know, certainly watching the game from where I was, it, it didn't overly look as though it was affecting um, any of the team's sort of performances in a negative way. And in, indeed, as you, as you said earlier... It was us that took the lead, and I think that came actually from Billing running through the middle of the park, didn't it? And he and he ended up getting a shot deflected wide, which led to the corner. Right. Is that right? That's right. I mean, he could have played uh, King or uh, Callum through, but chose to have a go instead. And, and not bad, not a bad uh, choice, I don't think. Um, bearing in mind the strength of the wind, could have gone anywhere. Mm. So deflected goes uh, goes off for a corner. The ball gets swung in. Mm. Francis sort of flicks it and out of nowhere it strikes the top of uh, Billing's shoulder. Yep. I'm pointing to where it hits. Mm. Um, that directs it across goal and Josh King sticks it in. Yeah. 1-0. One, one when I'm watching it, there's never any thought that that could be a VAR referral. No. And you know what's strange? When it was called, I mean... It was a funny old atmosphere there because when it went in, I felt really muted with the celebration. I'm not entirely sure why. And I've uploaded a video to YouTube with my vlog of the day. So you're welcome to uh, have a look at that. Everyone on youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. And it's the first video there. And it was funny. You just thought that something was coming. But I actually thought it wasn't the actual flick on from Billing. It was maybe the way that Josh King sort of took it down. But, you know, he didn't. Um, so there were a lot of questions uh, being asked by the AC Bournemouth fans, not least because there, there wasn't a single claim from any of the Burnley players, the management, the fans. Uh, the only person who actually believed that there was something wrong was someone that sat miles away at Stockley Park. No one inside the stadium ever thought... It was, um, it, you know, it would be ruled out. And then when it was, I mean, absolute joke. And obviously we aren't informed. We, do, we I can't remember if there were replays or not. I don't think there were on the big screen. But when you see the replays on your phone and stuff, you're thinking, how on earth is that handball? Mm, Firstly, it's not, it's not clear and, clear and obvious is the phrase, isn't it? It was clear never and clear and obvious. And it came off the top of his shoulder the exact same way that Rodriguez scored against us in their 1-0 win earlier this season. In fact, Rodriguez's is worse. Rodriguez is about there. Mm. I'm pointing just sort of above the armpit, which yeah. is uh, a popular consideration for VAR. Yeah. Um, and um, Billing, it comes off the top of his shoulder. Nowhere in the laws of the game is the shoulder mentioned as being um, uh, part of the body that cannot be struck for it to be a handball. It's mm. either the hand or the arm. It was neither the hand nor was it the arm. That goal should stand. Uh, only Mr. Kavanagh in Stockley Park, who's watching that, is uh, able to conclude from all of the evidence that that, disallow that is a goal that deserves to be disallowed. It was ridiculous. It was. And that was, you know, the first of what seemed like a multitude of mental setbacks we had. But to Bournemouth's credit... We carried on. Harry Wilson had a chance where he had a header that was saved. Great save. And we, you know, we put the pressure on. And I honestly thought that we were going to go up and, you know, just same as Southampton. We got a goal chalked off. We went and scored, you know, another. I thought it was going to be something like that, but it wasn't. And credit to their keeper as well, who I thought, you know, had a great game and seemed to pull saves out of the bag whenever he was asked. 
we we could have had four in that first half. There was a chance that Stacey had at the back post as well. I think actually yeah. Harry Wilson should have done better. Could have could have had that whole goal to aim at, and he hits it um, straight at uh, straight at the keeper. Did something? Wasn't didn't he do something similar against Sheffield United? I think he had a free header there and and messed it up as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you know, obviously got to work on your heading, Harry. Um, Stacey at the back post again. Though the fullback getting forward like that, we it's good were, to see, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was really good to see, and I, I do think you know we could get we could get sort of weighed down by everything yesterday and think you know. And I've seen a number of fans are, are getting quite depressed, thinking you know relegation. It's terrible. It's terrible. Here we were playing away from home with a weakened team against a team that's off the back of four straight victories, yeah. playing some really decent football, Burnley, in all of that, and we were beating them we were beating them and we should have been 2-0 3-0 up easily and you know let's let's also bear in mind that three of the players Sermon Gosling and Francis have been around for donkey's years so you know no way is that our strongest side that we've got out there and there are players still to come back but obviously we can't let VAR you know we can't brush it under the carpet and I'm always very wary of using uh, you know, VAR incidents as an excuse uh, to deflect any, uh, you know, attention away from poor performances from the players. But in the first half, at least, I, I actually thought that um, we were such a credit and, you know, we deserve to go in a goal ahead. And, you know, nil-nil felt like a, a real sort of false scoreline because they were attacking very seldomly. Um, whenever they did, uh, Ramsdale stood up to the task. And, you know, Francis, he got turned inside out a couple of times, but he was putting his body on the line and blocking. And I thought, as a unit, we were, we were actually working fairly well. Yeah, and compare the performance to those around Christmas time where, you know, we were destroyed by West Ham mm. and and didn't even muster a shot on goal in the pretty much until the 90th minute, as far as I remember. So, you know, here we are creating chances. We're playing decent football. That is back to what we're, we're good at. And I think that should give the players a, a bit of confidence that... The two victories we got, Brighton and Villa, you know, we've we've built on that. We can play. We played well in the first half against Sheffield United, albeit again unluckily um, to to an extent beaten there. So we have got positives to build on. The problem is that we're not scoring when we're creating these amazingly clear cut yeah. chances. Now um, that is something, okay, well, you kind of want to be creating the chances in the first place. So we're getting better. Mm. We're playing better. We're certainly not playing as bad as West Ham or Villa. Villa was shocking again yesterday. Um, I think West Ham are, 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 are in a really poor run as well. So there are teams worse than us. Mm. We've just got to get the run of the ball. Um and also just, I think, have that strength that Ake and Lerma bring back into the team. And we missed that yesterday, certainly at the start of the second half when they did score. Yeah, so Harry Wilson was, um, you know, in the thick of the action later on in the second half. But also just that one other chance that we had in the first half, just that I forgot about, was where he sort of flicked it from behind him and it fell to Wilson, who chested and turned. And that was, you know, that was one of the first of many good saves um, you know, from Pope, who I, you know, who I thought was astounding. But yeah, as you say, in the second half, Vidra, you know, no, I'll make no bones about the goal. It was a, it was a valid goal, um, and you know, very well executed, um, very clinical. They needed it at that point in time as well. And uh, you know, talk us through it. What went wrong? 
Well, I think Cook and Francis, the communication wasn't there. I think Francis had stepped up thinking that uh, they were going to play Vidra offside. Um, Cook isn't in that line, so the ball over the top catches Frano out. And then he compounds the error by going to ground way too easily. Mm. And Vidra steps inside him in the box. Um, and Ramsdale goes down at his feet trying to block the shot. And in fact, Vidra is quick enough and good enough just to lift it over him yeah, if he stays good. on his feet maybe he blocks it i mean it was one of those you know you got to take your hat off to the attacker and say he finished it well but we were uh part of the uh, part of our own downfall i thought mm. yeah and at that point in time you know before that eddie howe uh, the bournemouth fans were singing eddie had a dream you know he went to burnley then he came back and then uh, Burnley fans were saying Eddie Howe thank Effie went back um, much to the joy of all the uh, Clarets fans at Turf Moor uh, 1-0 then but we got back into it albeit um, there was an incident between the Harry Wilson goal and uh, well I mean that Adam Smith handball uh, you know I don't know how to detangle this but yeah there was an incident Bournemouth cleared it was going out it looked like it was going out um, Adam Smith um, cleared it with his arm, shoulder, whatever. Um, but then we did really well in counter-attack, superb. I think it was a real direct ball from Andrew Sermon that I found Callum Wilson, who managed to turn, beat one of his markers. And it reminded me of um, the Brighton game, the Brighton 5-0, that you um, you know, you know remember very well. And uh, I think at that point, there was uh, Josh King running through on goal, and to his left was Stanislas, and to his right was Solanke. And uh, Callum played in... Harry Wilson, who just managed to get a left foot on it and poke it at home. And at that point, you're thinking, right, we're level and we're going to go on to win this. But alas, that dreaded VAR once again. And honestly, it's very difficult not to feel like we're being got at. John Moss one week and then this the next week is scary. Yeah, again, the ball comes across. I think maybe the wind had a bit of, bit of a part to play because it sort of held up a bit on Adam Smith, hits him more sort of uh, top of the shoulder, well, sort of top of the shoulder again, armpit sort of area. Mm. Um, now, Mike Dean has a clear look at that, decides to play on. He is not obscured in any way by uh, any of the players or the play. He can see exactly what's happening. He waves play on and um, brilliant break, brilliant goal, brilliant finish. So like you, you know, I was going crazy. Uh, and then to have it called back I, again, I I can't understand how that is clear and obvious. Mm. It's not clear and obvious. And I tell you what, the only reason that got pulled back was because we scored. If that doesn't, if that goal that Harry Wilson hits doesn't go in, then you know the ref will say play on. They won't even yeah. bother. They won't even bother. But because we scored, it's like the rules of VAR. <clears throat> Number one, you've got to stop goals being scored any way you possibly can because we're the referees mm. <laughs> and number two let's reinvent the rules so that actually you know we're making it up as we go along and three i think it does feel like there's a conspiracy against us because again you you watch uh, um you watch trent alexander arnold against manchester city in the autumn clear handball they break score goal stands mm. That is far worse than Adam Smith's yesterday. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you know what? If we had the VAR decision go for us with Josh King's goal and that got given, 
I wouldn't be overly upset because I think, yeah, you know, you there were claims from the Burnley fans, the Burnley players that that was handball. Um, there, but you know, Mike Dean felt, you know, he had such such perfect vision of that. Now, I thought the whole point of VAR is so that the referee is not undermined. So someone hundred yards, away, you know, like a couple of hundred miles away, wherever is, you know, deciding this and, you know, putting a word in his ear and saying something that he didn't think the first time. Now, it's, it's worse on the first incident, but on the second, I can understand sort of why it was given. Now, there was an incident with Liverpool and Manchester City where this happened, where Man City looked like they should have had a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Liverpool went up the other end and scored and it could have been pulled back, but it didn't. You know, Liverpool were given the goal. You just start to wonder whether that kind of same decision would happen if it was a Liverpool that, you know, Harry Wilson had been scoring for his parent club, Liverpool, rather than Bournemouth. Um, it's hard not to go down the conspiracy theory, but we're not going to. But VAR needs a massive looking at, doesn't it? Because the inconsistency there is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, Jay Rodriguez, you say like in other matches, people are, are posting screenshots where there are um, incidents that have been given, not been given. It's it's an absolute state. And it makes a farce, a farce of VAR something that was supposed to be clearing up these decisions at the end of the season. So you can look back and think, well, you know what? That was fair because every decision was right. But it's become a talking point by itself now which yeah. is not what the Premier League ever wanted, which shows the implementation of it is completely wrong. It, it's all over the place. Simon Francis, in a post-match interview, says that uh, the referees are coming down to the club in a couple of weeks' time to talk to them about how they can improve VAR. Well, I'll tell you what, that's going to be a fun meeting. That mm. will be a really fun meeting, because honestly, you'd think... And I was looking at a league table um, posted, I think, last week that says that actually... We're in a plus two situation with VAR. I mean, this is obviously mm. before yesterday, which I think would take us. We, I mean, we, we, I think we were three goals um, down as a result of VAR yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, we're minus one. But some clubs have had it worse than us, and, and honestly, it it feels really bad because that was such an important game yesterday. Yeah. We get three points there. That transforms our running. Now. It makes it harder. Mm. It's not impossible. I think we can still get out of the situation we're in. I think we're playing all right. You know, yeah. we're not we're not playing like um, a championship side. We're playing much better than that now. We played better than Burnley in large patches yesterday. We played better than Sheffield United in large patches last week. So we're doing we're doing okay on the footballing side. We need a bit of luck, and we need the officials to stop interfering and messing up the game. Yeah, agree. Now, I mean, I don't know the best way to implement VAR in a... I mean, firstly, the timing thing is is a nightmare because people at home are being informed you better than those inside the stadium. Um, and also, once a decision has been made, there's no accountability afterwards. The PGMOL don't come out and explain anything. It's like there's a, a smokescreen involved. And I think one of the best ways to maybe shake VAR up is almost I mean boxing has got its faults with regards to its judges but I almost think you need three independent referees watching each match and having some you know two buttons in front of them you know give the penalty or don't give the penalty or you know whatever decisions it is they're not you know together they make their choices on their own and then you know obviously Mike Dean he let the goal stand yeah Josh King's goal stand now if it needs to go to, you know, it should go to VAR if there is one voice that thinks it should be checked at, you know, checked out, yeah? But it should just be a majority decision of those three. 
Um, and, you know, maybe it could work that if it's not a clear majority, including the referee on the pitch, that's when he should be going to his screen and checking things out. But if there's a clear you know, majority, it should just go with that straight away. And they should almost have a... 25 second limit or something and they've just got to make the decision based on the immediate footage um then at least it's it's not one person that's accountable because you don't know what these referees are thinking i mean there is no way on earth gary lineker has been saying it every journalist has been saying it um it was the shoulder sean dyche said it was the shoulder yet he thinks it's still handball he needs to um, maybe revisit his uh, GCSE biology textbooks because the shoulder, as far as I'm concerned, that is no way handball. Um, but it is what it is. VAR needs shaking up massively. And as a result of it, 2-0 down. And at that point, Jeff, Bournemouth players just look, look like they lost uh, confidence in themselves. But not only that, the officiating and uh, Burnley just... You know, they looked like a team that had confidence coursing through their veins. And to be fair, based on the last 20 minutes of the match or whatever it is, that, yeah, perhaps they did maybe deserve the win. But, you know, the position that we were in at that point was basically determined by bad officiating, wasn't it? Yeah. One, one other thing I'd add, I do think the referee on the pitch needs to have more of a role. He should be able to go and consult that pitch side monitor much more frequently than he does. Mm. And Kavanagh was the... Uh, the VAR ref for the Monday night fiasco that was Manchester United against Chelsea. Yeah. Anyone who's seen that game will realise, you know, the guy is incompetent and doesn't doesn't ought to be. Sorry, getting a bit carried away. Yeah, but he <laughs> yeah. He, sh- he shouldn't be allowed near a football mm. pitch because he doesn't know the rules mm. and he's not qualified to officiate. And why they didn't remove him after Monday night is beyond me. He's incompetent. Let's get these incompetent officials, because even if you're in three of them and doing majority verdicts, Sam, I'm telling you, mm. two of them could well be incompetent refs who yeah, don't know point, the game yeah. either, you know, so I'm not sure we'd be in a necessarily a better place. Mm. However, the psychological impact of going from 1-1 to 2-0 down... Oh, just sucked uh, it out of them, didn't it? Oh, you, you can understand it, you know. I, I, I don't blame the players. I, I think they were then kind of shot to pieces really they tried to get it back a little bit you know he made some substitutions which uh, you know arguably you're not taking off players who are playing badly for players who are likely to make a big difference so um we just opened up more space for them yeah Uh, you know i mean Bournemouth players are going through uh, you know enough sort of emotional turmoil as it is with you know with regards to this this kind of weekly cycle of bad results so to have that happen um not good and then yeah Burnley added a out a third and you know it's a great strike in the end from McNeil from distance but you know mm. there were people starting then to make individual errors it was Billing that was culpable for a couple of yeah. um, errors you know late on um but like you say the substitutions that we had um yeah Fraser coming on uh Solanke as well for Gosling and Harry Wilson respectively Stanislas for King Oh, you know, it just had the feeling after sort of 70 minutes, you just sort of knew the writing was on the wall, really. And um, Yeah, oh. just wanted the game to be over. I'm sure you felt that in the stadium, too, oh, yeah. that, um, that uh, it was one of those days. And sometimes you do get games which are like that. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not your day. Let's just pack up, go home, start again next week. 
it, okay, this is the worst analogy in the world, Jeff, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I don't watch X Factor anymore uh, because it's, well, bloody awful TV, I've got to say. But I used to get <laughs> taken away by the buzz. Um, I can't say I ever bought a Steve Brookstein album or whatever, but um, X Factor have got this kind of, um, I, don't know, it's, I don't know, it may have changed the way they do it, but basically they give the public the vote, right, to vote off who they who they don't like. Um, And then it comes to the bottom two. But at that point, it's decided by the judges who are employees of the programme. So really, the public don't really have a say because the judges can basically manipulate who they want to be in the final based Mm. on the fact that they are the ones ultimately making the decision. And with VAR... It almost feels like this whole, um, it's like, a, you know, lip service, you know, like we've got VAR to, to bring these, you know, bad decisions and make sure that they're correct and fans are going to benefit and the right decisions are going to be made. But ultimately, they're not being made. And it's like individuals like, you know, Kavanagh, who are actually, you know, determining the fate, possibly it could be terminal for the club in terms of, you know, being having Premier League status. And it, and it almost feels like that, like VAR is some kind of um, lip service mechanism. But, you know, perversely, it's actually gone completely the opposite way. And there's more focus on VAR than, you know, than the actual football itself. And the Premier League, I mean, they have to do something about it. And that's all we're talking about now. Um, and, you know, there were players that had poor games towards the end. But, mm. uh, you know... Do we let them off the hook? Because, I mean, you know, this is a massive issue. You know, someone on my uh, WhatsApp was saying, you know, you know, could we be going to court with all this kind of stuff? I think, you know, we'd probably become a bit of a, you know, laughing stock if that was the case. Um, uh, I'm sure that Eddie Howe would love to do that, but I think he's also acutely aware that it would make us look salty and also a bit of a laughing stock. But um, it's, uh, yeah. it would only work if we were in a safe position in the Premier League and no one can really call it sour grapes if that was the case. But, you, you know, you start to think, you know, is it a conspiracy? And uh, an absolute shocking day all round. Yeah, we, um, we could easily um, feel that it is a conspiracy. We know that there are um, people that we've wound up. Um, mm. John Moss, Dan Gosling. Yeah. Um, that you know to say that that's the sort of break in the code of silence that players have what he said and mm. it's obviously hacked off uh john moss so I, I mean i thought if that's true what he said you know that he deserves to mention that because that's out of order what the referees mm. was saying to him um but do you think that's maybe stoked the fire are. somewhat i think maybe it has i think maybe referees uh are thinking that um we we are this tin pot club that doesn't deserve to be in the division and that there's there's a sort of uh, movement against us. But honestly, that's easy to it's easy to get into that mindset after games like yesterday. Um, and certainly we haven't helped ourselves this season. Yeah, we've had a lot of injuries, but we played some pretty rubbish stuff as well at times um, and not enough good stuff. So. I think I think we should look at ourselves first, right? We've got big games coming up. We've got a home match against Chelsea that, that kicks it off. We are playing better football. We've got players coming back from injury to strengthen the squad, which I think is helpful. We need to use this, as Eddie says, build that siege mentality and prove to everybody that, you know, we're a club built on great escapes. This is going to be the greatest one because we're not only playing against the other clubs who don't think we've got a right to be in the league. 
we're fighting against the referees who don't think we've got a right to be in the league. We're fighting against the gods of football who are putting everything against us, it feels like, this season. So it's time for everyone to stick together. Let's get behind the boys and let's give it some on Saturday. Yeah, we certainly need to. Uh, we'll conclude with um, some five-word match reports because, uh, yeah, we had a number that were submitted. And if any of these are of note, uh, feel free to stick your hand up and we'll and we'll mention it. Mr Tiggs, it doesn't seem fair. Uh, Neil Dawson, technology doesn't always improve life. AD Mansbridge, a clear and obvious clusterfuck. Uh, yeah, I've said it now. <laughs> Kirk Tovey, um, Prem slash VAR can get lost. <laughs> Uh, what else have we got? Steve Hensman, refs get their own back. Nobby Dog, we are not good enough. James Clark, played well, but shoulder his handball. Um, what an absolute ludicrous VAR, said Andy Bowman. I mean, it's all VAR related. They're, they're, I mean, Patrick Devitt says something, where are we without Ramsdale? And this is maybe worthy of note mm. because Ramsdale, you know, for all the attention that VAR had, um, he prevented the scoreline from being, you know, it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been. He played. He played well, and the number of times where Vidra was straight through, almost one on one. What was it? Three, maybe four times. Mm. And you know, it was only one of those that uh, that Vidra came out on top. Ramsdale is great. The centre half pairing. I don't want to see that again. No. Nathan, you got to be back. And either Cook or Francis, not the two of them together. That is a championship centre half pairing. I'm sorry, but. Yeah. I ain't gonna gonna keep us in the Premier League. Um, I thought Stacey did decently actually yeah. first game yeah, for I a while. Yeah, I thought he did too. Yeah. Um, I thought Adam Smith was all right again. Good going forwards. Um, midfield wise, it's it. You're right. It was a bit Championship, but mm. uh, so, I mean, Sermon I mean, didn't look overly out of place. No. I've got to say there there weren't. Any, no. I mean, there weren't any clear and obvious errors that I remember him making. But I mean, obviously, um, it, you know, it's very difficult when your um, when your mind is just shrouded by this kind of mist of conspiracy and varsical kind of thoughts. Um, it's very difficult to analyse with a with a clear head. I mean, I've not I've not seen uh, extended highlights. I've just watched small packages, so I, I I will torture myself and go over it and try to form some opinion ahead of the Chelsea preview. Um, but yeah, there, you, there's more people saying, would Championship be that bad? We'll we'll be discussing relegation uh, very shortly, Jeff. Um, you've got to be joking, said Norseman. Uh, Freddie Travers can't wait for Millwall away. Um, there's VAR as a fraud again, said Katie. Um, VAR can F right off, properly shafted by VAR. Premier League want us out. I mean, I could go on. Jeff, it's um, it's not a great time to be no. a Bournemouth fan at the moment. No. Stick together, though. You know, fight the good fight. We're still in this, and it, it's, it's close at the bottom still. No team is uh, on a fantastic run. Newcastle dropping like a stone. We still got to play yeah. them. Still got to play Palace at home, and we still got to play uh, Saints at home. So you'd look at those three fixtures and think, you know what? Those are all three winnable if we play well. Hi, I'm Kelly Summers, and you're listening to Back of the Net. Well, we thought we would uh, break up the monotony of 
talking about the Burnley game by <laughs> by mentioning relegation and what and what it could spell for AFC Bournemouth. There's uh, a number of people on Twitter that are saying that they're they're actually kind of looking forward to the you know, potential relegation and going down into the championship because it's more of an enjoyable experience. But Jeff, you just f- furnished me with a rumour that scares the life out of me, I've got to say. Well, I've heard that VAR will be used in the championship next season. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, you you mm. know, there's a lot of people online that are actually saying um, that they don't particularly care. And like I say, they, you know, they can't wait to actually you know, get relegated. But, uh, you know, I cannot possibly... Uh, you know, feel the same. I will be absolutely distraught. There's a lot of people saying how unbothered they'd be. Um, They are posting it regularly, so I think they are a little bit bothered, but maybe they're just saving themselves from some hurt from mentioning it. But I did a piece with the um, New York Times, actually, uh, this week, uh, talking about relegation, what it would spell, and just a few discussion points um, for a few minutes before we go on to preview the Chelsea match. Now, in my opinion... I think relegation would actually spell disaster for the club and unlike many who get relegated, I think we'd be perhaps kidding ourselves if we were to believe that we could come straight back up. Uh, My reasoning for that is, unfortunately in football, loyalty does tend to work one way and whilst the success of the team has led to players staying for extended periods of time, I think demotion from the top flight would would see an exodus of players. Um, It'll be wanting to maintain their wage and stay in the best league of the world. Jeff, like, what play, you know, if it happened, mm. if it happened, what players do you think we could feasibly retain? Well, that's a really good question. Um, there's obviously a number of players that came up with us from the championship, and I think they'd probably stick around. Uh, so... I, mean, could, I, mean, I mean, could Francis, could Francis do a good job in the championship? Could he could yeah, it almost he be his level? Could. Probably, and I, I, I think this is—it's a bit of a tipping point kind of season, really, for those players. You know, you look at Francis and Cook, and watching them against Burnley, you'd say, "Well, you know what? That's what—that's where he needs to go shopping in the summer to get replacements for those guys." Um, I know Mepham is one of those players that's been brought in to develop. Um, mm. Maybe, maybe we keep hold of him. I actually think we'd probably lose Ake, we'd probably lose Ramsdale, we'd probably lose Lerma. Uh, Billing would probably go to the next club that wants to get relegated. Yeah. Um, Wilson so and King. Wilson, I think Wilson would probably go. Mm. Fraser's on his way out anyway. Josh King would probably go. So you look at that and you think, well, we'd be really back to bare bones. Lewis Cook would probably go. He might even go mm. in the summer, actually, after uh, the season he's had this yeah. season. Yeah, certainly, certainly not exactly being favoured. And uh, as Richard, uh, who I met actually in the Quick Club yesterday, mentioned on a couple of podcasts ago, the, the fact he's out of favour, there's, there's something going on there that he's not being used. as He's that creative midfield player that couldn't open teams up, and yet he's not being used. But, yeah, scary times. When you actually look at how we got promoted through the seasons from League Two to the Premier League, one thing we always had was consistency in the playing staff, as you say. But but even this season, when injuries have been rife, we've been forced to couple together teams on a weekly basis where, you know, we haven't even been able to get, uh, have the consistency or form that is required to even sustain what could be deemed an average Premier League, se- uh, league season. So, effectively, we would have to, to start afresh. Um, and Eddie... 
is famed for his long-term man management and he would, he, he would need to rebuild really quickly. And is that one of his strengths? I don't think it is. Not the sort of quick rebuilding. Well, you say that. I mean, where, where did we build success? We built success from players who had points to prove. Mm. Lower league players who had all had big points to prove. Um, Callum Wilson came to us from Coventry City, you know. He, yeah. he, he made his name in the championship, scoring a ton of goals. Kermigan had a point to prove because he was let go True. by Leicester, wasn't he? And, and Charlton and, you know, the, there were views that his, his best was behind him, actually. He was he was fantastic in combination with Wilson. And a lot of the players, you know, Simon Francis, Steve Cook, Adam Smith, all let go by higher league clubs, came to us with points to prove, and boy, did they prove them. Mm. So where where is that? Uh, going to take us if we do go down and the uh, whole of that first team squad is decimated I actually think the reasons for optimism are in um, our under 21s at the moment yeah. who we've got some fantastic talent if anybody doesn't believe that go on YouTube and watch some of their games because they are some yeah. seriously talented players did there. you see that 3-2 on Friday night against Southampton wow wow what wow. a performance that Zamora, was uh, oh my goodness what a player um, there and there are loads of them that are on loan. Kyle Taylor had a worldy bit of a performance. He's benefited from getting some uh, some experience out and about. Um, Forber as well. He's he's out and about. Is Namdi? He's at Wickham. Um, you know, Dobre's. You know, trying to push into a championship squad at the moment. Not being selected at the moment, but his time will come. He picked up a knock, and you just think, oh, you know what. The future's bright, and you know Southampton, famed academy, um, and there was someone on some Saints fan who was uh, on Twitter saying, you know, oh well, you know they've got a load of first team players in there. Oh, what Jordan Ibe, who hasn't been selected at all this season. Um, Travers, he's played one, you know, he's played ninety minutes this season. Um, who else? Uh, you know, Sam Surridge uh, hasn't, you know, is barely featured in the Premier League for FC Bournemouth. So not really. It, mm. You know, it is looking bright. And maybe in the Championship, you know, Eddie Howe, I think, is a loyal, you know, a loyal manager. And he'll be a big, he'll be a big name manager in the Championship. And there'll be players that will want to play for Bournemouth. So we're always in a good position being a small club um, in that players will want to play for him. Um, yeah. And, you know, perhaps he can draw those kind of fringe players that want to boost their careers, like you say, the Adam Smiths of this world, and maybe we could sustain something. But I think, the, you know, monetarily, it would be a huge blow. I mean, whilst the championship, you know, money doesn't necessarily determine who goes up and who goes down. You can see from the teams that have got promoted to the top flight, they've always had financial backing from investors who've had a long-term uh, sort of relationship with their respective clubs. Um, yeah. Max Denham, uh, how how long he's going to be around, I do not know. Um, would we have the same financial input? I don't know. I mean, we're already spending millions on a new training facility, which apparently will be unaffected. Um, we'll have player sales, parachute payments. We'll, we would retain some mm. of our squad at the moment. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's necessarily the end, but there's got to be a lot more cautiousness with money than that, you know, with the, because nowadays we're doing private jets and all and all sorts, you know, taking players from games, uh, you know, game to game and abroad. But I think, you know, the purse strings would definitely have to be tightened, wouldn't they? Yeah, the, the, uh, the case for going down actually makes it easier, I think, to rebuild a side and give them a bit more time problem in the Premier League is that it's all about getting instant results and I think if Eddie looks back to what he did at the end of the season 
before the start of this season, he'd probably think, you know what, I went out and I tried to buy players who were Premier League quality players rather than, you know, have the time to build players through from uh, the, the reserves or in the under-21s into the, the current first team as I would like, just because there's mm. so much pressure to get instant results. It's actually backfired on us a bit this year. You know, I've been so disappointed. Lloyd Kelly hasn't played for us. Yeah. Dan Juma's played barely at all. Um, both both exciting players that I was looking forward to seeing as, as part of that quality first team and, and building on that. And, and, and taking us forward instead... Um, also, Solanke, you know, he came to us as a as a player, yeah, really bright prospect, sure. and hasn't delivered. So, trying to buy instant first team quality is not easy, but it's much more tempting to have to go out and do that in the Premier League. And actually, if we yeah. did go back to the Championship, actually that might be stronger for the the future of the club to come again and actually deliver in a couple of seasons' time. Of course, TV money is massive in the Premier League and, uh, you know, we wouldn't have uh, as much of that. We'd have the parachute payments, of course. But another way to earn revenue is, you know, getting bums on seats in the stadium. Um, but, of course, there's been no stadium expansion. Eddie's a long-termist, always featured, uh, you know, worried about building the club up in the right way so the academies come first. And, you know, even logistically that has to happen with regards to the fact that the stadium site, the mooted site, would be on the same land as you know, where the current training facility is. So the focus seems to be in the right place. So it's sad that the tangible bricks and mortar development hasn't happened and it's slower than people had hoped. Um, it'd be ideal to be playing in a, like in a bigger facility, but being in the championship, you know, there were numerous games that didn't sell out. Do you think we would retain this sort of 11,000 coming every week to watch Bournemouth? I think in the championship, the standard is that good um, that actually we'd be okay. We'd probably be okay bringing that sort of level of fan base. And in fact, that's another thing. You know, we need long-term success in the Premier League to really build and galvanise that fan base and make it stronger over the years. Um, Part of the issue over the years has been that everybody wants to default and support Southampton because they're the Premier Mm. League club and they're only just down the road and they've got a bigger stadium, so it's easier to get tickets, you know. Mm. And, And that's kind of what we're competing against. The catchment area is big enough to support a Premier League club in Bournemouth. Mm. It absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, and if we do get relegated, Eddie Howe, I think his loyalty means that he will still be at the helm. I just worry sometimes he just might get a bit tired of it all. But I have faith that he he would be the best person to get us back into the top flight. That's, you know, at the moment we're we're two points clear of safety still. Um, There are some winnable games ahead, but the amount is decreasing, you know, week on week. Um... We got a we got a good chance of staying up still, despite all the things that are you know going against us. And in a weird way, Jeff having something to play for in the Premier League is actually perversely exciting, isn't it? I think so, and I think four wins, two draws, still within our our, our means to do that. Um, I'm going to be optimistic because because um, it's my nature, but I do think that. Um, I was as committed as anybody to the thought of relegation around Christmas mm. time. Actually, I feel we have turned a bit of a corner. Just yeah. need to things things to go through with us. I'm looking forward to the Chelsea game in a way that you know you'd be saying after a three 0 thumping away from yeah. home. And what right have we got to do that? But actually, I'm quite looking forward to it. I think we got a, we got a good decent shout against Chelsea. 
Well, Jeff, let me give you some good news, shall I? Uh, we're recording this on the Sunday. It's Manchester United 2, Watford 0. Yes, And sir. it's Wolves 3, Norwich 0. Uh, now, bearing in mind West Ham's next match is at Liverpool, where surely to God they're not going to pick up anything. That still means that despite this awful weekend, we've managed to retain our two-point gap. Now, of course, that may not mean much with the matches that are coming up ahead, but we'll talk about it because next... It's Chelsea. Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. We're gonna make this a blue day. Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. Jeff, then Chelsea, Chelsea at home. Back in the day, it would have maybe been one of those fixtures where we wouldn't expect to get anything. But based on what happened last season. Uh, despite that horrible match against Burnley, let's forget it, it's in the past. Um, can we do it again? I've got a feeling we can push them. Um, I'm hopeful that the players will use the injustice of what happened against Burnley as a motivational tool. Um, certainly the way we played in that first half against Villa, uh, if we put in that sort of performance, we will cause problems. Uh, and what are the weaknesses of Chelsea? Defensively, they're not all that. They're not very good at defending set pieces, which is one of our strengths. And uh, they're playing with uh, Giroud as their main striker now um, because Abraham and Batshuayi... Well, Abraham's injured and Batshuayi couldn't hit a barn door if you uh, <laughs> if you presented him with the ball two yards away from one. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, isn't it this week that Chelsea have got that big European game? Yes, um, that's right. So, you know, there's there's going to be other things on their mind. They are not going to be completely fresh for it. No, that's it. Um, I, I weirdly, I think I, I'm feeling quite positive about it, only because um, we. I think there was a league table of the other fourteen, and Bournemouth were third or fourth in terms of the teams that have got the most points from uh, playing the top six clubs. I mean, there there are a variety of fixtures coming up where um, you know Bournemouth could maybe look a bit more positive. I mean, so yeah, Chelsea. Um, and then after that, it's Liverpool away, which, let's face it, I, you know, no one's expecting anything. But there, there's always these little news stories that come about where you think, oh, but maybe like Son, uh, sorry, not Son, Spurs, we'll talk about that later. Henderson's out for Liverpool. Um, and I, I know with Liverpool, it's, you know, it's just a case, well, if Henderson's out, we'll just stick in Wijnaldum or, you know, Fabinho or someone. Um, it's not a match where I'm sort of, yeah, I mean, we've got nothing to lose, basically, have we? Nothing to lose in that one. It's going to be tough to get a result there, but uh, I mean, the, I mean, there are going to be teams that we like that we're playing that have got, you know, like other ambitions. Let's say, uh, including Wolverhampton Wanderers, um, you know, teams that are safe, um, teams that are maybe guaranteed. Yeah, you know, like European football, playing teams like you know Liverpool, Spurs, as I sort of briefly alluded to, where you know Son is going to be out. Hopefully, I mean it's going to be a couple of months apparently. So whether that will stretch till late uh, till April, I don't know. Um, playing Manchester United at Old Trafford, you know, whilst these look really threatening fixtures, part of me just thinks we could, you know, we could get results in some of these. Yeah, and look, uh, look at the team we've just played. What have Burnley just gone and done? They beat United at Old Trafford. Exactly. Yeah. They beat Leicester at home. We've still got Leicester at home. You know, yeah. Leicester having a little bit of a wobble. Now Vardy stopped scoring. 
Uh, Spurs, you're right. Son is going to be a big miss for them. Kane will be out. Looks like um, Mourinho's gone full metal jacket with the haircut, so he's losing it. <laughs> you know? Full metal jacket, and, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think all those things play into, OK, we've got chances. Um, also, it's coming to the business end of the season. They're all going to have FA Cup. Champions League, big games coming up midweek that are going to interfere with their preparations for the games against Little Old Bournemouth. Mm. Liverpool have to lose this season once in the Premier League. Why not to us? Yeah, because, uh, well, you know, why not? That would be amazing. Have you got a prediction for this one? Uh, Chelsea, I think, um, I think we could edge it 1-0. Oh, yeah. 2-0. I'm just chucking Ooh. numbers in the air. I'm just Go chucking numbers, it. but yeah, I'm going that. for a 2-0. Fingers crossed uh, we will get the result. So, yeah, we've done Burnley. We've previewed Chelsea. And, uh, you know, Jeff, this has been a hard podcast to do, hasn't it? It's been pretty tough. Um, I didn't really want to do it at <laughs> five o'clock yesterday. I'll be totally no, no. honest with you. But uh, actually, I've been quite um, pleased at the outpourings of sympathy from fans who don't support our club for yeah. the, what we went through yesterday. And I think that also underlines the injustice of it all. So time to move on, you know. Yeah, agreed. Uh, time to move on. And uh, yeah, I just, I just hope that we can... Uh, Pull something out of the bag. Now, earlier on in the show, to kick off, we had Do You Remember, where we had a timeline of AFC Bournemouth managers that was all kicked off by this, by this cushion that was thrown onto the pitch. So we started with Harry Redknapp, Tony Pulis, Mel Machin, Sean O'Driscoll, and then Blank Blank. So after Sean O'Driscoll, between him and Kevin Bond, there was about a month or so where there was a joint caretaker managership and it was Joe Roach and Stuart Murdoch do you remember those names I, I, I would barely well Joe Roach it, obviously yeah yeah but yeah. I mean it's God. yeah it's, you know like you have chats with fans and they and they say the obviously Joe Roach has been you know synonymous with being around the club but Stuart Murdoch's like oh my goodness yeah I forgot about that and then Crazy. after that it was Kevin Bond Jimmy Quinn uh, Eddie Howe of course during his first stint Lee Bradbury Paul Groves and then after Paul Groves between uh, his tenure and Eddie Howe coming back it was Dennis Rofe God yes. <laughs> you're looking yeah, I, I, yeah that, you're looking as blankly me. as I am Jeff because uh, uh, it's yeah. uh yeah, you know, some, some caretaking things. But uh, you know what? If you manage to fill those gaps, um, credit to you. And uh, credit to you if you've been able to listen to this whole podcast as well because it's, uh, it's not been the easiest one to do. Jeff, thank you so much for being around today. Uh, thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah, no worries at all. And remember, if you can uh, share the love on social media, we'd really appreciate it. So if you've seen uh, this podcast via a tweet, a Facebook message or Instagram, do feel free to share it. Um, you can buy us a coffee if you want. Uh, the bio link is uh, it's on our Twitter bio, actually. But 
More than anything, if you can leave a review on your podcast app, we'd really appreciate it because all those reviews sincerely help. Uh, not least, um, you know, it gets the likes of the New York Times giving us a call and uh, doing interviews for that. I mean, that was that was pretty bizarre, but that will be online later on in the week. And it was great to see other fans doing stuff uh, on social media, uh, in the media, on TV. Alex Deutsch was in the ring this week on Football Focus. Thought it, that was a tremendous piece, Alex, with um, a number of other I know um, Lewis from uh, Norwich City Central and a couple of the others, the the lad from the Villa View as well. So it was a really good piece put together by Chris Stark on Football Focus. So if you're interested in uh, appearing in the media, uh, representing the podcast, then let us know because myself and Jeff can't always done it. We've done a, a fair few stints, haven't we, Jeff? Yeah, and uh, it's not as scary as all that. No, it isn't. I mean, your Robbie Savage piece. Awesome. I mean, I, lo- I love the way he talks about uh, Harry Wilson's being hair, uh, hair being a million times better than, uh, you know, that other Welshman who was sat behind yeah. the microphone. Yeah, I know. That did make me laugh, I must say. So uh, always good to get one over the Savage one. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much for listening wherever you are. And we'll see you again next time. It'll be episode 80. But thank you very much for listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Flicked on by Francis, then off a Burnley head. Definitely not Arsenal side. Two Burnley players back on the goal line. I think they might be checking for handball off Francis. I really don't know, John Williams. It looks absolutely fine from what I'm seeing. I think the goal has been disallowed, and I haven't got a clue why. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.